Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. Today I am your host Alex Jones and joining me as ever as always always the uh, stoic is that the right word hmm. the the stable the everlasting Jamie is joining me. Hello Jamie. I don't know if I'm stoic necessarily but I do have a weird tendency to always be around um, I feel like I should take a week off one of these weeks and just see what happens. I want to be able to listen to this podcast and not be on it for once. That sounds like such a treat. I think you've saved up enough time that you could take off like eight weeks and just go on a sabbatical. Hmm. Uh, and then we would we would just have to, you know, just ta- just do it. Because, well, you know what, uh, Jonesy? It's funny you should mention it. A bunch of games are coming out. Uh, you know, I've got so much Gotham Knights to play. I think this is as good a time as any to tell you that I will be uh, taking a leave of absence up until the new year. Uh, and then I'll come back to tell you all about my time in Gotham. How does that sound? That that sounds absolutely amazing. I am, of course, referencing the fact that I was not here for the last two weeks because I had the f- goddamn coronavirus again. And uh, Chris is not around today. Um, so it's two of us again. But as always, like I said, Jamie is here because he is he's the rock of which our um, little house is built. So thank you, Jamie. Um, we are, of course, a gaming podcast. I'm sure you all knew that out there, but just in case you didn't, I will let you know. Uh, you can find us on podcasting platforms on YouTube. Um, you can also reach out to us on Twitter, uh, where we've been tweeting a little bit more lately because I occasionally <laughs> pop up a few stories on there. Um, I, do you know what? I was I was very pleased that the two stories I tweeted about in the week were the two stories that you and Chris covered last week. I thought that was... Um, yeah. Made me feel good about myself. I was finding relevant material. People might have looked at that and thought that that was some kind of planned synergy, but no, Jonesy just happened to tweet about and inform the folks at home about the two stories that Chris and I decided to talk about when time came for recording. Um, yeah, and I was saying before we started recording, I actually enjoyed it because I had two weeks where I could listen to you guys um, with your hot takes and your trash opinions talking about video games. And I enjoy being a listener or a viewer, as it were, on YouTube. Um, because it's not something we get to do. Like, Jamie, you've never got to do it. I think maybe once in the <laughs> two years that we've been doing this. Um, but um, we are going to cover off a story that you did mention last week. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about uh, Bayonetta 3 and the voice acting controversy. Um, we are also going to talk a little bit about um, EA and uh, their next-gen Sims game. First of all, though, we are going to uh, have to talk about uh, Silent Hill. Not Silent Hills, but Silent Hill. No. Um, yeah. But before we do that, I do have to mention that, of course, like I said, we're a podcast, uh, podcast. We're on podcasting platforms. I'm talking Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, anywhere you could uh, think to go and get your podcast. We are also also on paisleyradio.com, uh, Thursdays at 10 p.m., repeated on Mondays. So you really don't have an excuse to miss the weekly, the fantastic Super Show podcast. Mm. But with that having been said, Jamie, yes, I think we need to go um, go deep into Konami's caverns. Well, that that and, sounds like the kind of thing that Hideo Kojima did and he got in deep, deep trouble for it. But I love it. Let's do it. Let's go deep on Konami. It's been a long time coming. It is, well, it's been like t- 10, 12 years. Um, it's something that everyone, every opportunity talks about because of the connections, of course, to... Uh, to Kojima and to Del Toro that we had before, PT. There have been rumours galore for years on end. Um, finally, though, in the shape of a uh, transmission, a Silent Hill transmission from Konami this past week, people were treated to not only one Silent Hill game, but three Silent Hill games and some other stuff to boot. Um, so we're just going to sort of have a quick rundown 
uh, of what they did. I didn't actually watch it. So I'm very lucky that Jamie was filling me in um, before the show. Uh, it is A lot of this was speculated, I think, before we even went into this. Yeah. We knew there were three Silent Hill games in the making. We didn't really know what the shape, the size of some of those projects. We have a little bit more flesh on some of those bones. Um, not massively so. How was your sort of takeaway before we go through the the main points that we know? How did you feel about it? I mean, it? I kind of went through a, not quite a roller coaster of emotions. That would be overstating the uh, capacity that Konami has to uh, send my life uh, on all kinds of ups and downs. But it was interesting how I went from really a bit of an outsider, having not you know played many Silent Hill games over the years. Certainly can't pretend I've got much affinity for the franchise. But I was excited to see like you mentioned, all these years of rumours and speculation finally come to an end and for products to actually be shown, like tangible things, video games that are going to come out, and Konami also being back in the video game business because for as much as we're just going to focus on Silent Hill and everything they've announced, you know, I wouldn't put it past Konami to come back in future years to talk about Metal Gear and Castlevania and so on and so forth, which is another positive for Konami being back in the video game business. But to sort of stay on course, I was excited by this. like. This, when you get a little, as they call it, a Silent Hill transmission, it feels like another, like, a mini direct or a state of play. It's like Konami coming in to fill us in on everything. And it ended up being like one of those weeks where between video games actually coming out and review embargoes and arguments about reviews that resulted from review embargoes, Silent Hill stuff, Resident Evil stuff, like, it was a solid week for games. And this was some of the most interesting shit. Even if, as you pointed out, um, you know how we often talk about confirmed rumours and like, <laughs> yes, so-and-so is talking about this and has got enough sources that they're probably right? The people that are usually right were pretty much right on just about everything that um, Konami had to reveal. But it's still cool to see it and to see trailers and assets. And I'm going yeah. to be a real fan of the, uh, like the individual game um, reveal video. Um, rather than, you know, like the a company comes out and says, these are the five projects we're working on, or even a publisher comes out and says, these are the 20, you know, games that we've got cooking. I'm qu- I'm quite into that when they say, hey, here's this long running series. We've, we've been around for 20 years. Let's check in. There's multiple strands. Um, I know, obviously, they covered a few different games, but I mean, it, really, they didn't. Everyone was there to see Assassin's Creed when Ubisoft did it in September. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm quite getting into that. So yeah, this is uh, this is the shape of things that I do quite enjoy where they sort of focus down on, on one franchise. Um, yeah, one, one of the first things I think that they talked about was the fact that there is going to be a Silent Hill 2 remake, um, which is good being developed by Baluba team, um, obviously behind Medium, Layers of Fear, Blair Witch, a very well-pedigreed um, studio that we've mentioned. I think we've mentioned quite a lot. Every time we talk yeah. about um, uh, Silent Hill, um, recently anyway, I think Baluba team kind of get get brought up so is that do you think a safe pair of hands for a, uh, a remake do you know what i don't know if i'm the right person to answer that because like you said we've talked about blue team a lot over the years we played layers of fear 2 and blair witch on stream uh back in the day i never played the medium but the reviews were fine well good yeah yeah um and then i don't know what kind of happened if it's one of those weird internet things or if you notice any of this as well but in like the last six to 12 months the tide has really turned on bloober team and there are a lot of massive bloober team haters on the internet especially on twitter they usually have anime profile pictures i don't know if that gives <laughs> you uh, any clues to what's going on there but apparently yeah there's a lot of disdain out there for bloober team from what i gather there's some things about the way they um 
they lift ideas or concepts or themes from other games and um, maybe there's a slight lack of originality when it comes to their ideas and their approach to horror games. There's also, especially when it comes to the game The Medium, there are a lot of accusations of how them handling uh, themes of mental health and trauma or generational trauma and, um, and even themes of like rape and child abuse and so on and so, so forth very poorly. Um, and I did some digging on what that was referring to, and sure enough, it does seem as though it was handled pretty uh, poorly <laughs> when it comes to the medium. I don't know if you want to get into that, but yeah. Um, I, so basically, I don't basically Jonesy, I don't know anymore. I thought the Blooper team would just make a good horror game, and if they used enough of the Silent Hill Two DNA and the blueprint blueprint from the original, and also just like good remakes are you know semi regular nowadays. Whether you look at like what Blue Point do, or you know wherever you look, like games that are sort of ground up reimaginings of classic titles that still have the essence of what made that game good, but are something entirely new or modernized. Like there's easy things to look at and reference when you're doing your own work. And I thought Blue Team would do a fine job, but I do feel like I need to, yeah, point out that large portions of the internet seem to disagree with me. I thought the trailer looked a bit wonky. Like, it, I'm not sure about the way his face, the guy's face looks. James, I think his name is. Um, Weird-looking face. But I don't know, like... It's a, it's a weird one, because I've, I've heard the criticism as well, Blue Team, that they can be a little bit derivative, but then when you're talking about a remake, and like they've obviously got pedigree with horror games, but when you say maybe some of their problems with originality, but obviously we're talking about a remake, so the originality aspect is yeah. already kind of handled for them. So all they need to do is use that, you know, the horror game uh, development side of it that they've, they've gotten pretty good at and try and put those two things together. Um, and I mean, I'm not, I, I played Silent Hill 1, I haven't played any other Silent Hill games. And so I kind of thought, hey, they sound like an absolutely fine studio. I must admit, I don't know about the uh, the handling of the the subjects that you were mentioning. Maybe we shouldn't get into it today. It's probably something we don't really want to sort of get to grips with. Um, but it gets a bit weird. I th- video game companies often, I think, get um, not unfairly tarnished. I mean, because obviously they have a long time to make sure they get that sort of stuff right. But I do feel like that they get a little bit more grief than... TV shows, movies, right. uh, all, I think they get a lot more sort of, um, they're expected to be better, like, better than all those other uh, entertainment industries. Sometimes maybe, hey, you can get stuff wrong. And I don't think it's, it's you know, you can throw people well, out necessarily. Um, but I don't know what they, I don't know well, what they I, wrong. So I, I can, I can talk about one element of it and I'll sort of eliminate some of the, the darker sort of themes and just give it to you in broad strokes. Where one of the themes that, uh, is present in the medium. So if you remember, it's about a person who is a medium and is in touch with yeah. like the the world of the dead. I guess it's like basically both sides of like a spirit world simultaneously. And one of the things that game does is it creates sort of monsters that are physical manifestations of people's trauma. And uh, there's heavy, pretty heavy-handed themes of how uh, one person who has suffered at the hands of trauma. Uh, might then go on to be corrupted by said trauma and is then doomed to repeat the same trauma that occurred to them, perhaps in their childhood, to other people, and that it's a cycle. At one point, there is, I believe, a character who is a young girl, and the the narrative gets to a point where it's implied that the only choice she has to you know, eliminate the physical manifestation of her trauma, which is doomed to then plague other people, is to kill herself. Uh, and people basically right. think that when you... 
handle like all these different ideas that like people who suffer their like a childhood trauma for example are doomed to then pass on that suffering or doomed to become you know somewhat corrupted by it themselves and that killing yourself is perhaps the only way to rid yourself of the trauma that you're doomed to pass on people are like yo you like i know you're trying to make a horror game where like a, a child getting molested turns into a monster that exists in like a spirit world but you're kind of not handling these themes very carefully bloober team yeah, no, I, I get that. It's, it's funny, like I said, though, like I've I've seen movies where that's literally the theme. Is yeah. there's, they reach a point where it's like they they realize the evil molester murderer per guy was molested and treated yes. really shit as a that's kid. That's exactly what happens in the medium, apparently. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, do I, it's weird. It's funny you say that. Actually, it reminds me of an article I read, um, harrowing article, like true story about a guy who was molested as a young lad, and mm. then he went on as he was older he'd he'd heard that he'd heard that you go on to become an um, an abuser yourself and so he bought a gun and kept it in a box under his bed uh like with a like a locked code box under his bed. i think he's an american dude obviously not a brit it'd be a bit weird if you're british and you did that um <laughs> because he got married and had kids and he was um he'd been led to believe that he had he was gonna actually funnily enough maybe yeah he shouldn't play this sort of game he'd been led to believe that that was true and so he was waiting for the day that he had the dark thoughts and he was like i was gonna put a bullet in my mouth jesus christ and 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 then went on to be like and and then i think got some you know realized that he wasn't didn't have any of those thoughts at all and was kind of like oh i'm he was surprised he didn't and then went on to actually like get therapy get help and they sort of said no why why would you think that just because like that happened to you you were definitely gonna become the same thing and he was but it was harrowing it's an amazing article like when people sort of open up about stuff like that but yeah very dark themes about other stuff aside. Um, <laughs> let's get back to dark horror um, video games. Um, so, okay, one of the things I think people are going to think is pretty dark, Jamie, and they're not going to be impressed of about yeah. is that this is a uh, PS5 exclusive um, for a year, but it will be coming to PC um, yes. after that. And considering I think it's been confirmed in the past couple of days that uh, Konami, uh, from what I understand, have bankrolled the entire development of this, um, I think Blue Team have been working on it for around three years, they said. This does stink of PlayStation swooping in at the last second and saying, hey, here's a boatload of cash to only have this on our platform to phone <coughs> consoles for the next year. Which is weird, considering some of the things that they are whispering into the ears of uh, the kind of people who might say, um, uh, have to give a verdict on whether or not certain mergers or acquisitions can take place uh, within the UK, um, for example. Uh, when you look, yeah. I'm talking about the the Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard, which is, um, I don't know, the the uh, is it the CMA, the UK kind of branch that put out some very strange um, statements sure. that like yeah, there's basically the UK kind of team that would have have to have a say on this. Yeah, I'm trying out, to think what their name is. They put out Maybe a very weird thing. statement that um, echoed a lot of the sentiments that uh, PlayStation and Jim Ryan had yeah. shared uh, in recent weeks and months. And so, yes, for, for that to be happening on one side while Sony are continuing to come out and say, here's all the money we spent securing these high-profile exclusives for our platform uh, is somewhat funny, even though it's kind of apples and oranges, I know. Least surprising thing ever that's, that uh, Sony are, like, spinning money to try and get exclusives on the yeah, the PlayStation. Like, they, they have shown themselves to be terrible recently when it comes to, like, moaning on one hand and then on the other hand trying to do basically oh, yeah. the same thing. And, they, they've, they've, yeah, they're, and apparently they don't give a shit. They're going to carry on doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the original art director uh, Masahiro Ito and Akira Yamakoa 
um, who's the composer, are returning and are going to be closely involved with this remake. Um, it's also going to be on Unreal Engine 5, so it's going to have some pretty kick-ass uh, graphics, you would hope. I think everything I've heard so far and seen so far, it does make me think it's going to feel pretty Resident Evil remake. Because yeah. it's going to be over the shoulder, which is which, to be fair, that's wicked. That's exactly what you want. Why would you do anything but that? That is sure. spot on. It's, it's like I said earlier, like that's an even better example than talking about Bluepoint or anything like that. Like you've you've got a very very solid framework and blueprint that's been created by another studio who went out and remade a horror classic or horror classics, I guess now with three and out and four on the way. Um, from from a bygone era, and we're like, yeah, how can we take the kind of the tank controls and the fixed perspective and turn it into an over the camera um, view, which is exactly what Bluebird are supposedly doing with Silent Hill Two. There's a lot of things that they can draw from. They've got Konami and some of the um, uh, the original uh, creators, you know, who worked on Silent Hill Two back in the day by their side. The you know, you think about the way UE Five can leverage. You know, uh, the vastly improved lighting and volumetrics and how heavy a part fog plays in the look of Silent Hill 2. Yeah. Like, there's so many interesting <clears throat> things you can do with that um, that I, you know, I, I hope they do do right by this title. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope that both fans of Silent Hill 2 and people who have spent, like me, most of their lives hearing about how it's a horror classic but have never actually played it, you know, you know get to enjoy it in equal measure. That would be the dream outcome, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's what they need to do as well. It's, it's almost become a strange thing as well. It's become bigger than itself, um, which ha- does seem to happen more regularly these days. Yeah. I think it's been so, so, such a long time that there's going to the audience for it is going to be so much bigger than the original audience. Um, so, Sorry. yeah, it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see um, how that how that remake looks. I think I know we complain a lot about remakes these days, and we say it'd be good if people just cracked on and made new IP, etc. But I do think with some of the great remakes that have made, um, the ground up remakes that have been done in the last couple of years, this is the sort of thing they need to do. Um, yeah. And everyone's going to be super excited for it. Which, because of course, we also knew at slash was, you know, we got confirmed um, on this stream that we are not just getting uh, the remake. We're also going to get a new entry in the series uh, in the shape of Silent Hill F, which we don't know um, what, uh, well, I'm guessing it's not actually going to come out and be called Silent Hill F, but that's what it's called. That's what it's called uh, at the moment. And we, yeah, you say it's number nine in the in the actual main series. Is that right? Yeah, was it eight or nine? Something like that. I can't I remember. Believe it was nine. Um, yeah, nine. It was nine. Yes, and I watched the cinematic trailer for it, and it's got a lot of kind of creepy stuff with vines coming out of walls and attaching themselves to people, and like vine and then flowers like blooming out of like a weird sort of like mixture of like this biological body horror-y kind of stuff with flowers and flesh that it looked appropriately creepy. I'm slightly unsure about the team that are working on this, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, because this is um, uh, Nearboards Entertainment who have worked on the Resident Evil multiplayer games. Um, what They are, was it Resistance and Reverse? Um, yes. Reverse, which isn't out yet. We have seen some of, but isn't out yet. And Resistance was the asymmetrical multiplayer game from a few years ago. Um, which don't get me wrong, like the, there have been lower lights for Resident Evil kind of spin-offs and Resident Evil side projects over the last five to ten years than Resistance, but it is still a bit weird. Like, oh yes, the future of the mainline portion of Silent Hills, um, you know, ongoing activities is in the hands of a Taiwanese developer that we don't really know a huge amount about. Um, 
Yeah, like apparently they've worked on like HD remasters before for things like uh, Devil May Cry and Onimusha. Um, but and and um, it, I have seen it noted that they did contribute to Capcom's Resident Evil Two and Three remakes. Um, so like clearly, you know, there, there, there's stuff going on there. They've been busy, but what Konami saw in them in terms of their ability to kind of pick up the mantle and take the reins on, as you said, the next mainline, the first mainline entry. Um, in the Silent Hill series for over a decade remains to be seen. Interesting one. It's pro- uh, it's far too early. I'm going to say it's probably too early. I, th- I if I could guess what's going to happen, I think the new entry in the in the series Silent Hill F is going to be a bit of a damp squib, and I think the Silent Hill Two remake is going to be the thing that people are going to herald as being fantastic, amazing, yeah, and absolutely love. Which would be a shame because I know we talked about Resident Evil a lot, but it's kind of hard not to when you're talking about. You know, long-standing horror series out of Japan that is now uh, experimenting with both remakes and new entries. Resident Evil did a really interesting and commendable job of balancing remakes with new mainline series entries that were completely different. You know, you talk about how Resident Evil uh, yep. Seven and Eight were coming out alongside the remakes of Two and Three. Um, it would be really cool if Silent Hill could nail that as well. But I do know what you mean. There's there's a there's a lot going on here, and it's hard to tell at the moment what's gonna what to be excited about. Although the third game, I think I do have a soft spot for. It's it's a weird one because I think uh, it, when Resident Evil did it, I think Resident Evil completely reinvented themselves with Resident Evil Seven, um, mm-hmm. and then they had the remakes. Whereas this is obviously seems to be doing it the other way around. Um, it seems like they're going to do the remake, and then we're going to get the new entry, which yeah. makes more sense, I guess. Um, it's a lot more likely that they do well with the remake. And then people are more interested for the mainline series, whereas actually just a mainline series game you'd think would do well because of all the the talk over the years. But actually, maybe people would be like, mm, it's not the classic games I'm used to. So maybe this is like a, a foot in the door by going, hey, here's an awesome remake. And here comes a new mainline series game. Yeah, I agree. Um, which is, uh, yeah, which, hey, is an interesting way to do it. I think a lot of people are surprised it's not Silent Hills. I'm not surprised. I think that's what, no? No, I... I... I, I think that I, I don't know enough about what goes on behind the scenes at Konami. I don't know who's there now relative to who was there ten years ago. I don't know who's calling the shots. You know, relative to the, that transition away from video games and into you know, I know the joke is pachinko machines, but it was like the you know the leisure market and casinos and resorts and all that kind of stuff. And now there's been a very I mean this is just the beginning of it as I hinted at earlier, but there's a very considered and definitive push back into the world of video games. When you go to a team like Bloober Team and fund development of a Resident Evil 2 remake for three years, when you go to uh, Neoboards and fund the development of a new entry, there's a third There's a third game that we um, haven't talked about yet. They're also involved in a couple of other bits and pieces. Like, Konami are spending money on this, and Konami had built a reputation for themselves over the last decade as a company who like would extract and squeeze as much money as they could from things, but were not really willing to put that much money on the line and sort of the improve. So I don't know where that considerable change has come from, but I wouldn't be surprised, to get back to your point, if the people who are pushing for that change and the people who are implementing that change also want to remove themselves as much as possible from the reputation Konami had built, from the reputation of Konami as being like, you know, you know, the bigger sort of like parent studio to anything to Kojima Productions and I think you know, Kojima did, you know, to the weird situation about how he, you know, parted ways from the company. Silent Hills being left in um in in like a weird sort of um what's the word? In in flux, you know, and and as, yeah. as eventually disappearing. Even when you go down to you mentioned PT earlier. 
like there was a story this week about how um, someone managed to um, by using a bunch of things like a, a jailbroken PS5 and weird firmware stuff and things like that, someone was able to boot uh, PT on a PS5, and that became a story. But the reason that's a story is that shouldn't be possible. PT is blacklisted software on every single PS5, right. and like that's what that's the version of Konami we're talking about now. You know, push yeah. that stuff to one side and focus on the future rather than sort of letting people remember how much we fucked up the past. It's weird because I think often people, I think we get we are in a bit of an echo chamber and when everyone all the gamers and everything shout loudly we sometimes think the publishers will hear us and that they'll be like oh they've heard everyone they're gonna have to do it and then sometimes it just seems like oh no they heard none of that they've just carried on moving forward yeah which i guess is is a positive you don't want them to always be trying to um do fan service and sort of do what fans want because often fans get it wrong Right, so yeah. hey, maybe it's good that they don't, and they just do crack on. Um, you did mention the third game, so yeah, we will t- we will um, talk about that now quickly because this is probably the one that I am the most interested in at this point, in the sense of that I will actually probably pa- play the most likely. Mm. Um, this is the um, uh, Silent Hill Townfall, which is being developed by No Code, who were the developers of Observation. Um, anyone who played that knows it was a very cool kind of like. When I say freaky, I don't think I'd say yeah, freaky, there, but kind of like there's some freaky-ish elements. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was unsettling. I suppose unsettling mm. is, a good, is yeah. Um, no, very cool um, little game that I was playing. I played on Xbox Game Pass. I didn't get to finish it actually. I think it I think it dropped off before I got to finish it. Um, oh, right, okay. maybe it's still on there. I don't know. I'll have to check into that. But no, it was cool, really enjoyable. Where yeah, you were sort of playing as um, it was almost like a, a Space Odyssey 2001 where you were dealing with the AI of the shit of the spaceship that you were on. So no, I've got, I think I've got a lot of time for them um, and I'll be interested to see what they do with that, with the Silent Hill uh, franchise in, you know, a game that they're going to make. And that's being published by Annapurna Interactive, who I also love. I love Annapurna. Yeah, like, it's, it's a really fascinating kind of like coming together of different elements. Like where if you told me that the next game from No Code and Annapurna, like like, and Silent Hill would all be mashed together in the same, you know, press release or whatever. That I I probably wouldn't believe you, but I agree. Like, I I liked Observation a lot. I think they kind of really, um, in in, in, in like not even just ignoring the, the gameplay elements of Observation, like just in terms of atmosphere and tone. I think they really nailed everything they were going for. I think they've got a really unique and distinct sort of like approach to art direction. Um. That I'd love to see their uh, just the idea of their spin on something Silent Hill or Silent Hill adjacent is really interesting. And Annapurna, like I know it's sort of like a, a bit cliche to hold up um, indie publishers like Annapurna or or Devolver or whoever as kind of like the yeah, hey these fuckers don't miss kind of thing. But like <laughs> Annapurna have a great track record. They've shown in the past that they do clearly have the eye for exciting projects, and you know they back. Very often, uh, if not the right horses or the perfect horses, then horses that were interesting. Um, uh, and if they do, if those horses do fall over at certain hurdles, then they fall over in fascinating ways, which is sometimes what video games are all about. So, um, I'm excited. Yeah, for and, this. It, and it started off well as well because they had a they had a little trailer. Um, I think it was just showing a, t- a TV with some uh, some static and some noise and that. And there was the um, the uh, game director said that people need to watch that again and they need to pay a bit more attention. Yeah. There were some hidden messages inside that um, and a few people have actually decoded some of them now or found them. Um, one, a, uh, a Reddit user um, called Milkman X found um, was a um, hidden message that was, whatever heart this town has, 
has now stopped um, <gasps> oh my God. the audio of that. So, I mean, no, I love stuff like that, like little ARGs or little fun things or hidden messages. I love all that shit. Sure. So, uh, yeah, no, that's cool, man. I love it. I love a bit of no code. So that's, that's good to hear that they're doing that. Scottish as well, which, you know, it's yeah. nice. It's homegrown. Yeah, exactly. Homegrown talent. That's all yeah. good. Uh, so I think the um, the sort of other main things I mentioned is that they are going to have an interactive streaming series called Silent Hill Ascension. Um, is that going to be like a Netflix deal then? Did they say um, what it was going to be? I don't know if they said uh, which platform they were tied to, if any. I did look up um, the... So it's weird. It's being partly produced by uh, like Bad Robot, who are like J.J. Abrams' film studio. But there's another yes. studio that are involved in this. I looked them up, and they had made something similar for The Walking Dead. And when they made that, it was uh, in partnership with Facebook. Um, and the way okay. that worked, I don't know if this will work the same way, but the way that worked was there was a game component to it, and you would play it like during the week. And when you played it during the week, you would do certain mini games. Um, basically, it sounded like an uh, like an iOS or a mobile kind of game. You do mini games, and by playing these mini games would earn you uh, influence points. And then when the weekend right. rolled around, there would be a big live stream, and it was like hosted by I can't remember who it was, but it was like a, a woman I recognized, um, an actress who like hosted this big live stream every weekend, and you would sit there and you would watch like in that case walking dead style stuff play out and the live audience would vote for what would happen next and they would influence the decisions live on on flight and that would be canon for the series yeah that's which is really which is kind of interesting and a bit dangerous i suppose that they're uh well, letting yeah <laughs> some of it be uh dictated um, through an interactive uh streaming thing but hey that's pretty cool i wonder if it was netflix just because the amount of like um I know, like, mine, there was some interactive Minecraft stuff and some other interactive sort of game yeah. video services that pop up on Netflix. But I haven't, I must admit, I haven't watched many on other other platforms. Um, but yeah, so they're going, they're going ham on Silent Hill, um, which is understandable. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, and you liked so, the film, right, Jonesy? Uh, the, the film was alright. I don't really remember it that well. It's been a long time since I've seen it, since I've seen because the there, there's um, they, there's another one coming. There, the segment attached to. All about ah, the film, yes. And the the original director is coming back. Um, that's see, that's funny because I think that's probably the weakest thing that they've actually said. <laughs> yeah. because if it, like realistically, like games to films aren't great anyway. Uh, sometimes it can be novel. Like if you it, just think of a few games to films that could have been fine and then were just not, and and you think is a new Silent Hill film going to be particularly good? Like. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> Especially that kind of no. It's not. I suppose it's not fair. I was going to say that kind of era of um uh this yeah Silent Hill film and then like um After Dark uh, and some of those other kind of like oh uh, uh, Resident, e- Resident like, Evil um, Resident Evil Doom, Doom. yeah or, yeah yeah like they're all a bit mm, like mid um, uh, early early and mid noughties yeah yeah but hey. Hey, I'm not going to be negative. I'm going to be. I'm going to be positive and say it's going to be all good. Um, they just got to bring Sean Bean back. I think it's really that simple. <laughs> is, but it's short, the problem with Sean Bean now is you just know he's dead. So yeah, but what if that was the big twist of the new Silent Hill film? Is that hey, this is the film where Sean Bean doesn't die? Dum 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 dum. It's worth seeing in its own right. That's so true. That is, that would be worth seeing, just just for that that fact. Isn't, isn't there some weird thing in his contract now? He's got a clause where it's like, 
No, that can't be. I said someone that he has to die, but I'm sure that's not true. I, d- I sure. doubt that Sean Bean has a has to die clause. I, if anything, I'd be like, I'd want to be paid more if they want to kill me because you're like clearly there's something about you <laughs> that makes people want to cast you just to kill you off. So I'd be like, yeah, if you want to kill me, I have like a twenty five percent bonus or something like that. I'd he, I'd love to see him in like a rom com. Where there's like, oh, there's no way Sean Bean dies in this, and then he dies for like a really dumb reason, and everyone's like, oh my, he's fucking dead. Yeah. Was it, um, was it Mall Rats, where uh, they, he's like, the girl just the thing in her head pops, and he's like, she's fucking dead. Yeah, I want that. Why not? In um, in a rom com with Sean Bean in. I don't even. I don't even want it to be on screen. I just want someone to mention it and someone to be like, he's fucking dead, and then you just move on. That's like something like, oh out of the room, like a character dies off screen and it's just casually mentioned in the next scene. <laughs> I, by the yeah. way, I'm looking at his uh, page now. According to his Wikipedia, uh, Bean said in 2019 he would reject scripts which called for his character's demise. So clearly at some point he got sick of it. And I have not seen any post-2019 uh, Sean Bean work. Uh, so I can't... And neither is, neither is Sean Bean. Cause he, cause <laughs> well, yeah. They don't want him in it because they want him to die. Like, yeah, exactly. No, Sean. It's like, as a, result, as a result of this request, Sean Bean has not had any acting work since 2019. They need to make a film where Tom Cruise doesn't run and Sean Bean is in it as well and he doesn't die. And Brad Pitt doesn't eat. <laughs> doesn't he, eat? Is that a thing? Yeah, there's a thing where like Brad Pitt is apparently always like eating a snack or he's always got a drink and he does a lot of acting around food. He, pro- he probably doesn't eat that often, but uh, it was a bit of a thing. For, like a, People pointed it out and were like, oh yeah, he does. It's one of those, you know, it's one of those things where his acting coach when he was younger said like, you know what you got to do, Brad? Always keep, keep your hands busy. And he's just I like, mean, yeah. now he's he's taking it on board and he can't help it. He's always got to pick something up. And then just people on the set are like, for fuck's sake, mate, put it down. It does sound easier, like less easier to focus on. Like, a pr- you know, yeah, a not fidgeting. Like, because I'd just be rubbing my hands together like this, my fingers looking all mangled. And one director's like, get this guy some fucking crisps or something. He can't set it still. It's, it's so true. Like, yeah, because you you'd be thinking, what do I do with my hands? What does a normal person do with their hands? Does a normal person do this? Do they do this? And then, yeah, and yeah. yeah. So then you need something. You walking, need food. Walking is the other one of those. Like as soon as you start thinking about how you're meant to walk or what you look like when you walk, you won't walk right. Like walking <laughs> yeah. has to be a subconscious thing. That's so true. That is very very true. Yeah, I think that have nearly any automatic body function. If you think about it too much, you'll forget how to do it, and that can be dangerous. So. Everyone listening to this, don't start thinking about how to breathe. Otherwise. Disastrous consequences could follow. Yes, do not, do not think about. Just keep breathing. Breathe. Just, uh, just everyone. Let's all do it together right now. A quick, you know, in through the nose, out through the mouth. Let's. This is called the Super Show breath. Everyone, ready? Three, two, one. So <sighs> how, how good did that feel? And now I I feel like a weight is lifted on your shoulders, and you can get back to thinking about video games, the important parts of life. It did feel really good. And do you know what? There's a whole group of people, Jamie, that I hope feel really good and enjoyed that little moment there of the uh, the Super Show breath. And they are, of course, our Patreons. Um, no, our patrons. I always get that wrong. There are <laughs> patrons who support us over at patreon.com forward slash Super Show. They are the people that keep us coming back week on week. They support us. They keep the lights burning bright um, and keep us making this show for over two years. 200 episodes? What is it? I can't even remember now. I don't even oh know how many. Oh, God. I, I don't remember the no, episode 100 and, 100 and f- I think this is 145. It's closer so, um, to three years. It'll be three years in, like, January. Lord. Or oh, of this, course. Yeah. 
145 episodes. Yeah, because because 52 would 104. Oh Jesus, 156 would yeah. be three years. So um, and this is wow. episode 145. So we are getting there, folks. Yes, and thank you so much. Like I said, everyone who supports us, particularly to the patron, uh, the patrons who support <laughs> us. There are some names on screen right now um, of our supporters, but I would also like to read some out. They are Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Bill Caesar, Brimstone, Cole K, Crow's Perch, Ice Not Rock Salt, Jesper Camdown Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, and the big dogs, the uh, the members of the board. They are Bretzy, aka Shellshock, Doppler, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Book Reed, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. So thank you guys uh, so much for supporting us. And thank you to everyone else who watches um, every week or who listens on podcasting platforms. Anyone who comments down below, we really do appreciate all of it. It's, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's moving. It is. It's, it's touching. Thank you. It is. Um, Jamie, I have not spoken to you for a couple of weeks now because <laughs> I was dying with the deathly illness. Yeah. Um, I want to know what you've been up to. Um, yeah, sure. I, I mean, the main thing I'm kind of keen to report back on, yeah, because it's so hot off the press, is that in the last sort of 72 hours, let's say, I have started and finished the campaign for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which on Thursday evening slash Friday morning was released an entire week early for people who had pre-ordered the digital version of the upcoming first-person shooter. Um, which I presume means that, yeah, if you pre-ordered the physical version, you have to go fuck yourself. I don't really know what's going on there. I also don't really know... Unless it's some weird, like, GTA Online comes out three weeks later than GTA 5 kind of thing, where they wanted people to actually think about or focus on the campaign for some period of time. I don't really know what the game plan here was. Or maybe it just incentivizes pre-orders. That's probably the bottom line. But, yeah. Um, I'm gonna... Mm, I'm gonna... I'm gonna have a little conspiracy theory, and I'm gonna say that the reason they've done it is because then the next time people pre-order Call of Duty, they're more likely to go digital than go physical copy, and they're trying to push people further and further from physical copies. I mean, it's not implausible. I think I, I think I might prefer my reasoning, which is that pre-orders are good for business. <laughs> like, no, but you were saying specifically what do people of physical pre-order do? So oh, yeah. I'm saying that, like, I don't know. I, well, I think maybe they've done it so that people of the... So next time, those physical pre-order people go digital as well. I mean, the, the, yeah, that's certainly plausible. The days of the Call of Duty midnight launch at a local blockbuster are well, well and truly dead, James. Are, <laughs> Absolutely. Very sad. So what was you, so um, one of the things that came out this week? People were saying how amazingly uh, realistic. I think it was it was Holland. Some of the Amsterdam. canals. Yeah. Amsterdam. Excuse me. Um, yeah. So what are your what are your thoughts so far? Oh, no, you said you finished it. I finished it. Yeah, I finished. Jesus, it what are your uh, what are your thoughts in completion? <laughs> um, I like it. I think it is a good Call of Duty campaign. I think it is certainly better than Vanguard's offering. I think on the balance of things, it is better than Black Ops Cold War. Although I'd say Black Ops Cold War had a few more interesting ideas. You know, it played with the kind of the a few more you know mystery and intrigue in a way that Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two is a little bit more by the numbers. Um, you can't do Cold War now, though. It's too it's too close to reality. Oh, I mean, exactly. Yeah, that's a, a, yeah, a bit of a risky uh, risky business. But um, this is very much a sequel to the 2019 Modern Warfare, in so much as they said, how can we use some mix of, you know, fictional Middle Eastern countries and subsequently fictional um, uh, 
terrorist groups and terrorist organizations, along with actual references to both Iran and Russia, to create a reason for us to send this group of extremely skilled and specialized soldiers uh, to as many different fucking countries as possible <laughs> to do covert shit. And when I say as many different countries as possible, as you kind of referenced earlier with Amsterdam, for example, I think Call of Duty Modern Warfare might now be rivaling James Bond in kind of how little an excuse it needs to jump from one country to another. It's got that proper, like, James Bond or Fast and the Furious sort of, like, sort of style about it, where every cutscene ends with Price going, well, I guess we're going to Amsterdam. And then, <laughs> like, hard cut into, like, helicopters flying over the, the canals or something. That's not actually how that plays out, but you know what I mean. Um, I, but like I said, I think it delivers on what most people who play this campaign will be going into it for, which is it delivers a... Very expensive-looking, very cinematic, globe-trotting, action-movie-ass like, campaign filled with like deceit and betrayals and like great moments and um, a, a solid amount of mission variety. And it, like, it, like I said, it will tick most boxes that people feel like they need ticking at this stage from a Call of Duty campaign. As a massive Call of Duty fan and an even bigger Modern Warfare fan, I do have misgivings, both about the okay. story... And some of the gameplay elements, but I, I don't know how much we want to get into the weeds of that because I'm conscious of the fact that that is coming from someone who's a larger fan of Modern Warfare's the Modern Warfare subseries than the average Joe. Um, what were your what were sort of your main misgivings then about it? Were they was it I'm trying to well, guess what they might be? Was it because it kind of goes a bit little bit weird off the rails with the story, right? Because it's almost yeah. it has to kind of slot itself in. And fill in some blanks. Yeah. Does that work? Not quite it, work? It, you know, it does work. So the, they take a really interesting stance with the story. So for anyone that kind of lost track of this, Modern Warfare 2019 was a reboot of the Modern Warfare series and reused some characters and ideas, namely Captain Price front and center, from the old school Modern Warfare trilogy, but kind of set it as a prequel. So it was before the formation of One for One. People like Soap and Ghost weren't in Modern Warfare 2019. And so people were like, well, hang on a second. Have we now just got to the stage where this game, Modern Warfare 2, will be a remake of Modern Warfare 1 from yesteryear? And the answer is no. Um... What they did, and we've talked about this before, is a lot of the things like the recruitment of Soap and Ghost were actually handled in cutscenes that rolled out through the Spec Ops and Warzone uh, game modes during Modern Warfare 1's original run of seasons. And so what you're dealing with now is a story that's set a few years on from Modern Warfare 19, Modern Warfare 2019, excuse me, where Task Force 1 for 1 have been established, and uh, they're just you know they're just doing their business and one thing i will say that absolutely works about the story and anyone who's seen any of the trailers will know this is um through a somewhat convoluted and maybe slightly unrealistic means i don't know enough about actual global conflicts to say whether or not it's realistic or not but put it one long story short um a mexican cartel gets involved with what task force one for one are doing and that means that they have to team up with the mexican special forces who refer to themselves as los vaqueros um, and that leads to some really interesting stuff where, you know, let me, let me put it this way. If Modern Warfare 1, if Modern Warfare 2019 had a lot of Zero Dark Thirty, Modern Warfare 2 has a lot of Sicario. There's a lot of like, right. there's literal chases over the US-Mexico border, you know, difficulty around whether or not the US have jurisdiction in Mexico and how hard they can push stuff and what they can do with people they might have taken hostage or how they can interrogate people. Lots of like... 
messing around that Sicario does with like how the US operates in grey areas when it's operating in other territories, which Mexico obviously is. Um, it benefits from all that stuff. What I wish, though, is that it had a little bit more fun with what it actually was. I, 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 I almost joke in my head sometimes that Modern Warfare 2 is like my Final Fantasy VII remake. It's the opportunity to take the characters and the scenarios and the setups and the ideas that I love um, and have fun with them. Like, mess around right. with them in a way that the ending of Final Fantasy VII Remake kind of did. And this doesn't do enough of that. There are some bits, that I, obviously no spoilers at all. There are some bits that I'm like, oh, that's fun. That's like a twist on a, a staple of the original Modern Warfare 2. And they're putting their own spin in it. I love it. And there are other elements of that, like, where, like, you just, like, you didn't do anything with that. Like, we know... Like, you didn't mess with my expectations, and I wanted it. Yeah. I wanted them to have fun with it. I wanted them to have fun with it. Um, Which I'm surprised they didn't more, because it seemed like that's the direction they were going to go in at the end totally. of Modern Warfare 2019. Like, they, they even had, like, the, it almost did a bit of, like, a, an A-team-style team set up. Like, these guys will return in, like, a, yeah. you know. And so I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't maybe have more fun with it. So it was a bit paint by numbers then. It wasn't. Do you know what? Quite. Like, yeah, when you look at what the A story of Modern Warfare 2 is and how, like, what the conflict is, who the bad guys are, and how it comes to be resolved and how cleanly it comes to be resolved, I think some people will be a little bit disappointed that it didn't pull a few more punches and just mess with people's expectations. Like, like Price is here, Gaz is here, Soap and Ghost are here. Uh, anyone who's seen the trailer knows that Shepard is here. Like the the the, the boards, like the, the pieces are all on the board. Most people will have an idea of what might happen and what might and when it might happen and how it might happen. And they do subvert expectations with some of those things, but not enough. And they don't have fun with it. Right. There are a few examples, like I said, of where they've clearly like I, 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 I can't spoil anything. I don't even want to hint at anything, but they have some fun with some ideas. And there are fun references and throwbacks, um, but overall, I don't think they do enough to kind of um, put their own mark on, on what they're doing here, with the exception of the implementation of uh, Los Vaqueros, the Mexican Special Forces, the cartel, some of the sequences that take place in Mexico and across the border. Um, and like, like I said, it's globetrotting. There's a fantastic variety of locales. Everything looks mostly pretty nice. Um, yeah. I'm, it's funny because I'm I'm so opposite to you when it comes to Call of Duty because I've, I've probably played as many Call of Duty games as you have. I've actually, yeah. Call of Duty is the series that I've finished the most titles from. I mean, they're, so, they're easy to finish, right? They're short games you can smash out. The, and I, I usually finish the Call of Duty game every year. Like I didn't actually finish Vanguard. Um, I, I just didn't get on with it as much as I usually do. I, I think uh, before that, my least favorite was probably Advanced Warfare. But outside of that, like I've gem I generally kind of get on well with all Call of Duty games. I could not give less of a shit about the story of any of that's, them. That's it's yeah. just it's just a damn good time, and and I you know and and I I remember fantastic missions. Um, so you know things like No Russian, things like the house in Modern Warfare 2019, where you've got you're in London in Camden, yeah. and you sort of go up the the levels of the houses. Um, levels like um, uh, when you're in the ch near Chernobyl with the Ferris up, wheel. Yeah. yeah, like things like that are absolutely amazing moments in gaming that you can remember. I think you'll get what you want from Modern Warfare 2, personally. That's, that was going to be my question, was it's for someone like me who's less bothered about the story, so you do think that there'll be the moments... Because it's one thing I found interesting is it's, it's one of the... 
it's kind of rare that you don't get some controversy from Call of Duty. Um, right. It feels like yeah. in, the, in the last, in, in Modern Warfare specifically, it feels like there's always something. You're always going to get something. And this well, kind of hasn't done that. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I is think because the reviews aren't out yet? Is that, is I mean, that why? There's, there's maybe a bit of that. Like, separating this means that the, they're kind of splitting up the discourse and the conversation around it. And also, it also leans into, hey, a lot of the early conversation around this campaign is coming from hardcore fans who pre-ordered the game and completed it in, you know, at the time of recording, uh, less than a weekend, um, which most people won't do. I get it. I get that. Um, so I don't know. One thing is that I don't think they go as far... I'm trying to remember, but I don't think they go as far to create any kind of intentionally shocking moments. And the other thing that's interesting about Model Warfare 2, and I kind of hinted at this bit when I was talking about some of the Sicario comparisons, is that there's been an accusation in the past of like um, more, like Call of Duty taking a very kind of like pro-American sort of like outlook on uh, the US or even just Western involvement in um, whether it's historical uh, military uh, events or, or modern military goings on. Um, what Modern Warfare 2 does quite a lot is it's not afraid to flirt with the idea that like the US are often the bad guys and like or, or are doing bad things to win and like where where do the lines get blurred and like there was a like Captain Price talks in Modern Warfare 2019 like we get dirty and the world stays clean um yes like and Modern Warfare 2 goes even further in that direction around like how far can we go and what is in you know what is where do, where's the line of the greater good get drawn right. um and i think that's maybe why it's a little bit more kind of introspective in that sense than Call of Duty has been in the past that maybe might skirt around some of the controversy. Like, the the the, the US military complex is not the good guy in Modern Warfare 2. It's not the right. bad guy. Like, it's mostly pretty clear that the Iranians and the Russians and namely this, a, 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 like a Iranian-backed um, uh, terrorist group are the bad guys, but that doesn't mean the US are the good guys. Or the okay, British, for example, which I have to point out because most of Task Force One for One is is British. Um, That's it. Yeah. So for people that don't know specifically, I think um, when it comes to like uh, special forces in the UK, one thing that is hilarious is um, uh, as uh, no, is it, who is it's McTavish? I guess is Scottish. Was it, is it yeah, Soap? Scottish? Soap is Soap is Scottish, and then Price, Ghost, and Gaz are English. We ah see that's uh, that's see that's kind of bullshit. They've got that the wrong way around because typically, um, well, this is what I've heard anyway: is Scottish people um, are overwhelmingly represented in the SAS because they just, have, I guess, they just have the mentality for it. They're hard bastards, and they've got the mentality to be like you know to just do well in something like the SAS. So they, yeah, yeah I, I got told that there's there's a lot of Scots who end up. Um, disproportionately so compared to how many because there's only about 8 million Scots so they get disproportionately uh, are, uh, represented in the SAS which is badass like if you're going to have yeah. a, like a, the, the cream de la cream of um, special I mean, task force people there's a, there's um, a lot of there's a lot of soap in this game for anyone that does want their Scottish representation and there are jokes about how soap sometimes gets a bit too Scottish and people don't understand him anymore so there's, they have fun with that um, oh, I'll, I'll also no, just I'm, say because um, like I think a lot of people's concern uh, with culture campaigns is that they're like um, move through area, shoot people, move through area, shoot people, move through. And recent years have tried to kind of like butt that trend a little bit. We're like, well, this is a stealth mission. And this is a mission where like you're hidden in plain sight trying to do like Hitman style shit. And they've, you know, with World War II and Black Ops Cold War, they flirted with those ideas. 
there are missions in Modern Warfare 2 that are very clearly this game's attempt at, like, let's take the um, the Call of Duty formula in a, in a, in a, and mix it up in a way that it hasn't been done before. And I won't spoil how they do that, but I will just say, as a bit of a teaser, this game gets the closest to uh, answering the question, what would Call of Duty look like if it tried to be The Last of Us? Um, there are <laughs> two missions that almost weirdly directly are try to answer that question. And that's all I'll say. Do you play as a roided out chick? Yeah, so basically, it's actually, it's pre-roided out. You have to do the meal prep. Like, how would someone actually be able to consume enough yeah, protein to get that jacked? It's a meal prep minigame. Um, nice. Really, uh, yeah, so uh, basically, it felt, like, it felt like their memo for this was, hey, uh, let's never have two missions back-to-back that are both about, like, running forward and shooting guns. Let's every other mission. Let's try and do like this mission is almost entirely vehicle based, or this is like a stealthy mission, or this is okay. like, like they try. There's clearly an attempt to get as much diversity within the Call of Duty formula as possible. And there you go. That's good. That's that's good to hear. Like because I there's one thing often like Chris and I talk about is how it's difficult these days to with mainstream. Uh, AAA games, single player games, they are usually twenty five hours plus, and that is that is rough to try and do when you when you're trying to sort of like squirrel away time to finish a game. But one thing Call of Duty does really well is is use its usually I don't know six to ten hours of uh, single player campaign to really nail um, set pieces, to nail like design and making and sort of having a well-crafted story so no that's cool to hear that they've maybe that they're pushing that and they're, they're mixing it up um i have i've been playing a bit of overwatch 2 i won't really touch on that because i think people will be a bit bored because it is so much like overwatch 1 um i've actually played a fair amount of it bizarrely i haven't played overwatch for a long time with them yeah i've got a couple yeah. of hours in and yeah like, like yeah. it's it, mm-hmm. it's it's yeah i i can barely tell the difference between overwatch 1 to be honest um i i yeah, even the like, I'm, but then it's free to play. So who's there? You go. You've you've got a reason to get people in um, by sticking a two on it and adding some new a, a few new elements. But Steam is what it is. Perfect marketing. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, um, I the only other thing I mentioned is I'm um, since the last time I was on the pod, I have watched a couple of uh, video game movies. Oh, which really? I wanted to touch on. Yes, I watched Uncharted. Okay, finally. Uh, which was crap, um, like terrible casting. Well, yeah, I mean, you didn't buy into the idea that maybe it was just a young Nathan Drake or. Do you no. know what I didn't mind? Um, I didn't mind Tom. What is his name? Holland. Tom Holland. I didn't mind Tom Holland as much as I minded uh, Marky Mark as Sully. Like right. I, I, I kind of got like the young, they were going for a younger aspect of those two guys as that. But actually the weird thing is Tom Holland is not that much younger than Nathan Drake would have been when we first met him in Uncharted 1. Like Nathan Drake's probably in his like late 20s and Tom Holland is more in his early or mid 20s. So yeah. they're not that, they're not that different in age. But yet Sully is like, looks as though he's supposed to be about 35. I get that Mark Wahlberg is probably in his late forties, but he just doesn't. Look, they don't. There's no effort to make him look. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, it's, that, I don't know. To that sport and that sports it for you. It's I. I just I don't know. I wanted I wanted it to feel more like the games, and it just kind of didn't because the games. Um, the thing I love about the games is they're kind of that Indiana Jones esque thing about the the story is everything, and 
it's punctuated by gameplay. Not particularly fun gameplay in some aspects. Like I never really liked the shooting in Uncharted games. The puzzling and the set pieces were like brilliant, but okay. occasionally there were there were action shooting sections and stealth sections where I was a bit like, oh, okay, more enemies that I've got to hide from and then like pop out and they're going to bullet sponge from an AK-47 in like a, an, a you know, a third person action adventure game, which I just found a bit weird. Um, but no, fine. Like you, without that, you don't have much of a game. I imagine if you take away all the combat sections, it's going to be a pretty short experience if you just go from puzzle to puzzle to place yeah. to place. <laughs> yeah, a bit one I, note, maybe. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I wanted a little bit more from this. I wanted it to feel a little bit more Indiana Jones meets um, National Treasure. And even National Treasure wasn't that great. But this felt a little bit too much like just a kind of, I don't know, a chonky bit of sh- shitty kind of <clears throat> over the top. I just, yeah, I just didn't really enjoy it. And I like Tom Holland uh, usually, so I was, just wasn't really feeling it. That's a bummer. I haven't seen it yet, but you've kind of put me off. I if people out there like disagree with me, please in the comments. Like maybe it was me. Like maybe I wasn't in the right space to see it. Um, but then, but yeah, I don't know. Watch it and then yeah, and then let me know in the comments down below what you thought. Or if you've already seen it, let me know. Another one, another uh, video game movie I watched was uh, Monster Hunter with uh, Mila oh. Jovovich. I forgot that existed for a second there. Jesus. Yes, me too. And then it popped up and I was like, oh yeah, I remember seeing the trailer for this. And it was an, an afternoon when everyone else was out and I think I was on the sofa not being very well. So I was like, sod it, I'll watch this. Um, yeah, again, like it was fine. I'm just, there'll be people that like it. It's, it's, to be fair to them, they did some interesting stuff where they tried to show elements of the game. Like they tried to have like ludicrous weapons and stuff like that. And they kind of worked in how they incorporated them. They, it wasn't too ridiculous. They did have some sections where they like took a bit of a, an, of a monster to utilize in crafting, but they didn't do it so over the top that it was obvious it was like crafting from a video game. Like it felt kind of okay. Right. The one thing they completely fucked up on in that for me in Monster Hunter was the animals or the monsters even that they, they killed and took their stuff from weren't just sleeping calmly when they just suddenly jumped on them and hacked them to pieces they were the attacking thing and then they had to like fight the animals to to survive which is bollocks i've played like i've played one monster hunter game at least and in it everything was asleep or just having a nice time and you run up behind it and try and chop its leg off and it's and it then tries to fight for its life yeah and yeah i mean you you are the titular monster hunter right like it's a hunting game you know exactly exactly but th- I suppose this is much more like Monster Hunter World um, than anything else because they she gets stranded in another dimension where the monsters are and she's got to like make right. her way. Because she's like modern military, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the the idea is that there's there's a doorway, a dimensional doorway from Earth to this Monster Hunter World, uh, and she goes through and then she meets some other human characters who live there. Uh, and they have to, and in order to get back, she has to go to through this other doorway, which is protected by the biggest, baddest monster. All right. Um, yeah. So you you can imagine. I mean, it was it was it was fine. It wasn't great. Does that mean that um, it's better than Uncharted? No. Oh, well, so <laughs> no. If I, if I had to pick Uncharted one, because you wanted Uncharted to be better. Maybe. I thought I thought once it was going to be awful and it was okay and it was like it was actually and it was fine it was a bit dumb and it was whatever but Uncharted I genuinely thought I had an opportunity to be quite a good film right and it kind of okay people I'm are going to hate IMD, me I'm checking IMDb while you're doing this 
So okay, you, you can compare it to another film because there's another film which I like, which I would I I like and how it feels as and it's a similar kind of um uh it could be an uncharted story. Okay. But I guarantee now I'm gonna oh, say I it's gonna, gonna have, say it's gonna have a worse score than Uncharted, which is Sahara, which I really oh, like. Okay, I okay, yeah. I, because of the because it feels like over the top and stupid, but in a fun way. And I think they did a quite a good job with it. Whereas Uncharted mm. just feels a bit cr- like stupid. Do do you want the critics' opinion or the people's opinion? Mm, let's go critics first. That's only fair. Enough. Um, critics, uh, it's all weirdly similar. Um, in last place is Sahara with forty one. In second, oh. in second place is Uncharted with forty five, and oh, okay. in first place yeah. is Monster Hunter with forty seven. Wow, they're so close. But okay, what about the, users? the folks at home? They like Monster Hunter the least, Sahara second, and they like Uncharted the most. Were they six point three out of ten? Six point three. They're still not great, though, is it? But... No, they, they okay. all they all have like mostly like bad to average reviews. But yeah, um, there you go. The folks at home are not keen on Monster Hunter, but I think that's where you get into the weird thing of like a fan versus a critic. Who's going to be more likely to notice sort of like? the discrepancies between the source material and the original game. Like, a critic is like a 60-year-old white dude who's just going to go in and watch an action movie starring Mila Jovovich. Um, a, a fan review on IMDb is more likely to be, like, uh, I've played hundreds of hours of Monster Hunter and is going in to watch the Monster Hunter movie, you know? Um, yes. Which would sway things. And it, and I can I can appreciate it. I'm, it's funny with Uncharted, because I imagine if you weren't a fan of the Uncharted games and you went in to see that film, you'd probably have more of an appreciation for it. Right, yeah. um, because I think you'd what you'd be less critical. Like I'm, I'm being quite critical of it because I'm, you know, because you see a lot of characters and a lot of themes and things that obviously are in the games, and you recognise certain. Oh, this person's going to be like this, or this person's going to be like that. But then, it, yeah, I don't know for for what it could have been. I just think it could have been better, um, unfortunately. Enough. But enough about crappy video game movie adaptations. Um, let's talk about something that you guys spoke about. Uh, I believe it was last week. Was it? No, it, it was. was last week, it was last week. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is the uh, dispute um, with Bayonetta 3 and the uh, voice actor Helena Taylor, who came out, put a video on Twitter um, and sort of announced that she was getting stitched up um, and that she what had she actually rejected uh, the money that she was offered for the role, which then prompted uh, a new voice actress to be brought in. Because um, she uh, there's there's been some controversy and some sort of back and forth between what actually happened, what the real situation was. Um, so uh, the latest that we've um, we've got now is that um, Helena Taylor, who was the original voice, I'm going to get, I'm going to screw up this up so much. Helena Taylor, who is the original voice actor from Bayonetta one and two, who was the one who rejected the money, um, she's now been replaced um, by a voice actress called Jennifer Hale, um, who. Uh, so she, Helena Taylor, was being criticised. Uh, because she basically told everyone to boycott it, as you guys covered last week. Um, and she, I think, has also said that, that she didn't want um, she didn't want people to buy it. She wanted people to give the money they would have had to charity. Yeah, um, this was all. This was all in last. Are you recapping right now? I'm just recapping. Yeah, sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, recapping. Yeah, yeah. Just in case, just in case people didn't catch get, catch up with it. Uh, and she said that she was offered four thousand um, dollars because. Uh, for all of the work to cover the entirety of the game. And she said, a, a franchise that was worth like $230 million or something, this was not fair. And she should have been paid a lot more because she was really important 
<laughs> she didn't say that. She said that she's a pedigreed actress um, and she's lots of education and she... She went to Lambda, Josie. Have you heard of Lambda? She, did she, she said she went to Lambda. Yes, yeah, she said that. Um, however, the what's got interesting now is that, um, as reported in Bloomberg, uh, there have been some disputes um, about the claim that Helena Taylor has made and they've actually... And they have some corroborating evidence. I believe that they've actually had... Uh, Platinum Games have supplied. I don't know. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't platinum. Uh, was it not platinum? No. Uh, obviously, Bloomberg, VGC, and Kotaku haven't outed their sources. But like Jason Schreier has been shorter, been shorter, but point out that like it wasn't. Well, because otherwise, it'd be platinum saying like we didn't do this thing. We're accused of. Whereas platinum have not taken a, a public stance beyond being neutral and supporting um, Jennifer Hale and so on. Right, okay, so um, my, my mistake, so it wasn't Platinum Games, but so yeah, um, Bloomberg, Kotaku, VGC, I mean, they might have, they might have worked for Platinum for all we Pro- know. Probably but like, have. But like, it's but but they've, they've it's, yeah, sources. Yeah, sources. Yeah, sources. So sources who should know um, and who can use information to give proof to some degree that what they're saying is accurate is that actually what was going to happen was they were going to hire her for multiple sessions um, so f- I think five sessions and that she was going to get paid between three and four thousand uh, dollars each time she was in the studio for four hours. And then that would be the entirety. So actually, in total, she wasn't going to be getting four thousand dollars. She was going to be getting more like twenty thousand dollars or fifteen to twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars for her work on the game, um, which would equate to roughly uh, averaging out around, I guess, like seven hundred fifty to a thousand dollars per hour, um, which mm. is a pretty good day's work. Uh, hour, hourly pay, I would say. Um, which, yeah, would take her total fee to, yeah, like I said, $15,000, $15,000, $20,000. She has denied that, hasn't she? She said that that's not the case and that she yes. wasn't offered that at all. Um, she said that um, any, she's responded to most of the outlets saying that any suggestion that she was offered more than $4,000 are, quote, categorically untrue. And she labeled claims that she was offered. Um, $15,000 plus as, quote, an absolute lie and a complete joke. The one thing that kind of then makes it a little bit more interesting and, and everything a little bit more questioning is there has been some uh, speculation that what happened was that she actually didn't have the availability. And so when they offered her the multiple sessions and said, you know, we need five sessions, we're going to pay you this much, she couldn't uh, commit to that because of prior commitments that she had. And so there is disputes about whether or not I guess that they're getting their wires crossed because that actually, you know, that could be the case. They, whoever the sources are, could be saying, no, she was off for multiple sessions and she could have been saying, I could do the multiple sessions, so blah, blah, blah. We don't actually know because no one's come out and said and agreed that what has happened. But one other thing that came out was that Helena Taylor had apparently said that she wanted a six figure sum mm-hmm. as well as residuals um, to make the game because the franchise was so big, which. I mean, that to me is very surprising if she actually did come out and say that because that's another level of... If you're talking 16 hours work and you want six figures. It's also just such a jump. Like, admittedly, the backdrop to all of this is I need to make it clear that I don't know what standard uh, voice actor rates are and I don't know how much they're influenced by being the protagonist of a game. I don't know how long recording all the voice lines for a game takes. I don't know what is standard if like you're working on the third game in a franchise that you've been the protagonist for the previous two games. Like I don't know what any of those variables do to any of this. But bottom line is 
like to take in an offer of whether it's four thousand or fifteen thousand or twenty thousand and say actually I'd like one hundred grand plus plus residuals um for a game that I think she was probably in her mind overstating the six like the the success of not to you know fucking shoot shots of Bayonetta fantastic series but like I don't know like. <sighs> That I, I bet that first game sold well. I don't know how well the ports of Bayonetta 2 did, but I, I bet the original being a Wii U exclusive didn't do fantastically well. Like the, the idea that like Bayonetta is like one of the most significant like revenue generating franchises on the planet and that she's being shortchanged here. Like I, I don't really buy into that. Um and so if the, the you know, as has been claimed, the jump in her request was as big as it's being made out to be. Like, yeah, that would end negotiations immediately because you're so far away from each other. Like, why barter? Like, what'd you come back with? Especially, as apparently, according to a number of sources, if the offer was in the fifteen dollars to $20,000 region, it would have been, quote, a significant increase in Taylor's fee for the second game. So imagine yes. you're all, like, getting back in touch with her and you're like, well, we paid her, like, fucking eight grand for Bayonetta 2. Let's offer her fifteen for Bayonetta 3. And she comes back and asks for, like, one hundred and fifty. You'll be like, well, we're just not on the same page here. We're not going to reply to the email. Like, we're going to say thank you. We're going in another direction here. Like, you're not going to offer a fifty and try and find a middle ground. It's no, crazy. I think it, it it is crazy, and it's funny because it almost when you it's dangerous to do so. But I think when you sort of put both of these likely possibilities next to each other, and you say, was she offered four grand for sixteen hours work, which is you know by an average person standard is a very good money, but Let's be honest, by a voice actor, if that's their bread and butter, if they're only doing that much work, you're going to have to get paid more because you work you know, such a small amount um, in, in total hours. When you compare the idea that she was going to get paid like four grand per session, and we've had corroboration to say that that does sound true, and she was going to get like 15 grand, which was more than Bayonetta 2, it kind of rings more true than her suggestion, which was she was going to get offered four grand, which I assume is $4,000, sorry, um, people are there. Americans or whatever, just, mm. what the hell's a grand? Um, so she was going to pay $4,000. That would, you'd have to assume, would be a decrease in what she was paid for Bayonetta 2, which would be very surprising. So it kind right. of sounds like maybe she got the wrong end of the stick. Um, this maybe. is, this is, I'm going to give the bet, the, my reading is she was offered 4000 per session, but she got the wrong end of the stick and thought that was a total. Maybe she didn't have the availability she thought she had. And was like, do you know what? I'm going to shoot my shot because this is a massive franchise. She asked for a shitload of money thinking they can spare it. I'm the voice of Bayonetta. They're probably going to... Maybe she thought that they'd do what you said, Jamie. She thought she asked for 100k. They'll offer her 50 and she'll walk off thinking I've done amazingly well. It's like when you go to your manager and you say, I've just been offered a new job and they're willing to pay me, uh, you know, 60 grand a year when really all we want is a pay rise. Yes. And then she's... Exactly. And then maybe what's happened is she's then said, and they've, they've looked at that off, what she suggested and said, well, there's, we're nowhere near, we're not even going to bother, we'll move on, we'll, we'll hire someone else. And then she has been like, she's probably felt really stitched up. Because yeah. if they've just, if they haven't even tried to negotiate and they've gone, yeah, we're not going to employ you for this game, see you later. That yeah. would really piss you off. Especially as, as, as Chris and I discussed last time, the person they went out and hired as her replacement is one of the most recognisable, prolific, high-profile video game voice actors on planet earth and like would not like if anyone is not going to fucking take a pay cut to like uh be the new voice in a video game it's it's jennifer hale so like they're not going to try and shortchange fucking you know 
Well, it's very unlikely that Platinum would have tried to shortchange Helena Taylor and then gone and played, paid a fair fee for Jennifer Hale. They'd have just paid the fair fee in the first place. I don't, it was one of the many things that this time last week didn't add up. And so when a number of journalists and outlets came forward and said, hey, we've seen categoric like documents and uh, like like very clear evidence that Helena Taylor's assertion that she was offered $4,000 in total is not true. Um, this story began to look very shaky. But then it was also just another weird one in terms of the spotlight it shone back on like video game fans and the discourse around the stuff. We're this was almost there's there's no real comparison when it comes to um oh it's just started like really heavily raining where I am. I don't know if my mic's picking that up, but it's like really fucking loud. Um do you know I thought I heard something and I was looking out the window like it's not raining. I think I can hear it on yeah, your mic. Apologies, there's a storm in London. Um I'm not trying to draw comparisons between like voice actor pay and like a, you know someone doing a voice for a video game and anything that people use the Me Too movement for to to speak their truth around, right? But there was an extension of like the lessons people learn <clears throat> around Me Too and the way we handled the stories that came out of Me Too, where it's like if someone is the victim of something or if someone is sharing their story or their truth or whatever it is, you kind of you 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 believe the victims, right? And I don't know if victim is the right word necessarily for Helena Taylor, but there was this sort of like social media-wide movement where it's like Helena Taylor has come out, made these statements via these videos. We haven't heard from Nintendo. We haven't heard from Platinum. Hideki Kamiya put out a very, you know, vague tweet and then didn't like his Twitter account disappeared. So like Helena Taylor's probably telling the truth. Fuck Platinum, fuck Nintendo. And some people probably were very briefly considering Bayonet, like boycotting Bayonetta 3 and maybe even donating that money to charities she suggested. And then like fucking a few days later, it's like all the, you know, some of the you know most active um, journalists or borderline investigative journalists in the video game community came out were like, yeah, there's, um, it turns out, sorry if you heard this one before, Josie, but there's two sides to every story. Um, and then people on Twitter who would, you know, Jumped, at, you know, jumped at the opportunity to get angry at something or to get involved in a movement. Were like, ah, oh, oh, no, oh no, there are, there are two, there were, oh shit, you mean that's he said and she said? I thought it was just <laughs> I think, one or the other. I think it is difficult in this kind of situation because it, you you only have one side uh, of the story, and if someone, I, I don't think there was any maliciousness on Helen and Sailor's part. I genuinely believe that maybe she got the wrong end of the stick. Um, I, th- I think that's that is the most likely because because if she was offered uh, fifteen grand, I think I don't I just can't imagine her coming out and just saying hey like and making the statement she made. I genuinely can't see that happening. Um, I think that that would be really bad for business on her end because if she if they could come out and just easily prove that she was lying, um, which it seems they have done. Not sorry, not lying that she was incorrect. Um, then that does her a lot more damage than it's ever going to do to Nintendo, than it's going to do to Bayonetta, than it's going to do to Platinum Games. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I think this was just an unfortunate situation that, that spiralled. And it, do you know what? It probably highlights the the thing that people need to remember, which is when you're really emotional about something and something and it feels really unfair, getting on the internet and recording a video is probably not the best thing to do before you make sure you've got all the facts. Um, yeah. Because she, she just it then comes across as the person who's made a bunch of shit up and what happens the next time someone needs a voice actress for a video game, you're probably not going to look at Helena Taylor too quickly. If you think that she's going to do a similar thing to you. Um, 
But at the same time, I can appreciate why the Twitter people thought that it was real because there's been a whole thing recently in in crunch, in how badly people are treated in video games. Oh, you probably get the idea of what a surprise. They're doing it again, those bastards. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it just seems like that's not actually the case. Um, so. Does seem to be that way. Have we, what do you reckon? Have we, uh, have we got time to quickly touch on um, EA? If, let's keep, I mean, I don't have much to say about it. So let's, let's throw it out there because it, I guess it is an update on the future of whether we want, whether we want to admit it or not. One of the biggest franchises on planet Earth by um, by player by player numbers and also some social media kind of stuff and YouTube. It's it's way bigger than I think most of us ever actually realised. Put it that way. No, that that is fair. Um, so this is the story that EA has announced its next gen Sims game, um, which is Project Rene. This is a funny one because when I I have a weird relationship with the Sims and I have played it in the past like a decent amount. Um, but I always kind of want it to be more than it is. Right. And I, every time there's a new Sims game, I kind of check it out and I hope it's more. And because I heard this was next gen Sims, I was like, oh, it's going to be more. And it's kind of not. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind, it's kind of, of not. It's kind more of more of the same. That's always the weird thing with the Sims is, I, well, I feel like at least starting with the Sims 3, it was like you release a game that's a bit of a step back from where the previous game ended up when you consider DLC and expansions, you slowly over time make it a far better game, far more well-rounded, full of features and, you know, like I said, additional expansions and so on and so forth. And then you do it again. You release another full-fledged product that is also like a step forward in some ways, a step back in others. And like The Sims 4 was a long time ago now. And I, yeah, I, I kind of, I don't really know what I want from The Sims anymore either. Like, because it's always fundamentally been the same thing. I guess... What I want from The Sims is not really what I think what Sims fans want, which is I like want more kind of like realistic human like behaviors and interactions to a like I don't want the kind of like the cartoon larger than life feel. I like I almost want like like not insane like fully like uh, like realistic Sims, but like I want them to leverage advances in technology to not just make a better looking Sims games, but like far more like expand like the the ai of the sims and like the, yes. the range of emotions that they can feel and the nature of the relationships that they can forge and how those change the things change and develop over time but i don't really think that's the direction that the sims as a franchise is going in when so much of the community is focused on creation and sharing and accessibility and so on and so forth yeah, yeah. Let me let me give you a couple of quotes because uh, Lindsay Pearson, who's the VP on um, uh, franchise creative for The Sims, said that we are building the next generation Sims game and creative platform. We're reimagining the Sims you know and love with new ways to play. This is the future of The Sims, built on a foundation of charming Sims, powerful tools, and meaningful stories. Um, it so yeah, it does seem like they're trying to they're opening up The Sims with more tools for creative, more tools tools for uh, collaborative play, mm-hmm. so, um, not just solo play. And all of that stuff, I'm sure, is sounds great to, like you said, Sims players, people that have loved The Sims for sort of decades at this point. But yeah, no, I'm with you. Like, I think that the thing that The Sims could do moving forward for me is re- incorporating AI to make a much more powerful sort of like branching narrative story. Sure. Maybe tone back some of that cartooniness you, can, you don't need to lose it. You can just tone it back a little bit and you can still have, you know, create a world for your sim. But I, I don't know. At this point, if it's there's so much more they could seem to be doing with it, I don't necessarily think the direction they're going in is something which is going to pull in new players. Yeah. I, and and part of it, like, there's an element which is, I think they will, I think it will pull in new players. I think it's 
we I think we have maybe have to accept that we are the fringe, like we're the old Sims players. Yeah, and actually, like, that's probably true. Like yeah. realistically, what I'm not gonna like use any kind of like slightly benign like shorthands, but like by creating something that I said is more accessible by implementing like more collaborative and multiplayer elements at the ground level, which has never really been a hugely significant part of the Sims, by doing some of the stuff they're doing where I think this game is gonna run across every platform all the way down to mobile and be basically the fun same fundamental experience everywhere like we may even be t i don't know if they've said one way or the other but i wouldn't be surprised if this was like maybe not a free to play game in its entirety but like like not a sort of like a 60 dollar product or a 70 dollar product like if this was a like this was about getting people through the front door this was about focusing on like i said create creativity and um and like letting people build houses the exact way they want to, and letting people build, as they said themselves, charming Sims the way they want to, and interacting with other players and sharing everything you're creating and stuff like that. Whereas like people like you and me who want like like super advanced, intelligent, intricate Sims who have like fascinating dynamics with other Sims and like and that can have like friendships or rivalries or relationships that can last long periods of times and become very strange and interconnected and like fascinating stories that evolve from literally the simulation of humans interacting with one another i think we've moved away from what the word sims really means no then no, no you're right that's that's fair because I, I know that i've always i've always hoped the sims would go in more of a less of a um, you want them to murder each other right like that's what we've established that in the past <laughs> yeah yeah but not just murder each other i always i kind of want sims i i think it would it would appeal more to me as a player if it was more like you followed one sim um, through their life, but you could like direct that path of their life and how that would right. how that would influence um, and have them affect other people. Like, what would happen if you played as you know the high school jock from uh, say you start out when you're like 15, and then you could you can like marry the cheerleader and then go and do this and do that. I'd I'd love to play out a life story um, in The yeah. Sims rather than build a house, um, make them talk to each other and have parties. And like have showers with blurry bits, and then oh, right. go to work and just disappear and come back and like well, uh, and eat and shit and stuff. I just, Jesse, yeah. I don't mean to blow your mind, but um, we can talk about uh, maybe after when the podcast is done recording. Uh, there are ways to get rid of the blurry bits if you uh, <laughs> guess one. <laughs> right, uh, like with uh, Lana Lara Croft when used to make her swan dive off the rock. Exactly. And like, now we're talking. Yeah, wait till you see these out. polygonal nipple-free tits. It's never going to be as good as um. What shit? What was the game? Oh, Duke Nukem 3D. We used to throw money at the strippers. Oh right, and yeah. You go shake it, baby. Shake and then baby. she'd like flash you with four pixels. Those are the good old days. Four pixels were all you needed back in the day. You know, masturbation was yep. simpler from what I gather in the nineties. Yeah, all you all you needed was uh, was four pixels to get off. That's all you need for a nipple. It was fun. Exactly. But hey, look, The Sims is going to appeal to um, Sims players. And do you know what? No, you're probably right. It probably will pull in a whole uh, bunch more players. And, and it is good that it's going to be accessible. Um, it's just interesting that they're going in that direction, whereas a lot of games these days are sort of moving in the opposite direction, which is, shit, we, it's not going to work on um, um, previous gen. It's going to only work well, on next gen. And yeah. things are getting, you know, people are complaining when things don't work right the way they want. And they're not pushing the envelope as far as they want. Whereas The Sims just goes... Yeah, play a mobile game on your PC on your console. I mean, you want. It, it's, it's grown. Great. It's grown into one of the biggest sort of like quote unquote family franchises on planet Earth. Like, why disrupt that? Right? You know, double down. No, absolutely. Until until you uh, stop making those bucks, why would you? To be fair, why yeah. would you change it? For some, 
30-something-year-old twat who wants a murder simulator who hasn't had it. Uh, yeah. Mods can still be your friend, Jonesy. Hopefully, we'll see. They can do some fucked-up thing things with Sims 4. As I explored on a live stream once a couple of years ago where I <laughs> installed a bunch of uh, drug-dealing and drug-taking-related mods. Um, yeah, that was interesting. Also, worth noting that Sims 4 has gone free-to-play and also this announcement. Which doesn't mean it. there's not literally hundreds upon hundreds of dollars of expansions and DLC that you can still buy, but the core game is now free to play. Which, you know, for anyone that wants to play The Sims 4, there you go. Yeah, now you don't even need to get the new Sims when it comes out. You can just free I to mean, play Sims 4. Maybe. It's, it's going to be, it's going to feel very similar. Anyway, thank you so much, Jamie, for um, uh, being with me no, this week you, to talk about video games. Thank you to everybody out there uh, for listening, for watching. Uh, for joining in um if you watch us on youtube you could catch us on the uh on the podcast site next time and if you listen to us a podcast and you like to see our little faces then you could hop over to the youtube and you can even leave a comment down below um tweet us dm us shout out to us all of that good stuff at super show pod um yeah and maybe maybe if you wanted to you could even join our our patreon and become a patron uh, and hit up our Discord, because that's as little as $2. You can go on there and you can chat to other like-minded people, and even me, Jamie, and Chris, ourselves. At me on the Discord, and I'll, res- I'll respond. Just one thing about the Discord, I'm terrible about responding sometimes, but when yeah. people actually do it, it sends me an alert, and I immediately you know, go it's, on It's one chat. of those things where, like, I'm not one of those, I'm not a Discord person, so using a Discord isn't, like, part of my daily routine. I need to get better at that. No, me too, me too. Um, but no, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, and we will see you for some more um, hot takes and trash opinions next week. See ya. Bye.